The New Testament reading is Acts 11, 19 through 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the world of the Lord. The Gospel reading is uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 13 to 17. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Gracious God, may these spoken words be faithful to the written word and lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There was a vet who met a taxidermist and they got on so well, they married. But they then thought, here are these two businesses, the vet business and the taxidermist business, how can we put them together? So they thought for quite a long time about how to sell this combined operation, this combined business. Eventually they came up uh, with a strap line. Either way, you get the dog back. There was, I think, uh, a confusion of identity there. Are they, was it a taxidermist, was it a vet's organization or whatever? There's a lot of confusion about identity, is there not, uh, in our society. It's a very confused society, a bewildered society uh, about identity. And it's great if we have confidence in knowing who we are. 
a little American girl was, uh, was heard to say, my great-grandfather was president of the United States, my grandfather was a senator, my father is an ambassador, and I am a brownie. <laughs> Good for her. She knew who she was. Her identity was clear to her. Well, all of you being baptized and confirmed today, I want to say to you, good for you, well done, because your identity is clear. And you're going to be able to say, to reaffirm, that you can say, I am a Christian. And that's the deepest, most important part of your identity to claim. I am a Christian. That's what we're confirming today. Of course, you're under huge pressure uh, to take on a different identity. Those of you who are in your teens particular, do you know there was a recent poll uh, that I saw where young people were asked what they wanted to be. It was a bit of one of those silly polls, really, what they wanted to be. And 70% of them said they wanted to be a celebrity. Is that it? Really? Your friends and your peer group put you under enormous pressure, I know, to conform. Wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, being cool all the time, saying too much on Facebook, you know, whatever it is, the pressure is on you. And it's on you from friends, from school, from advertisers. They're all wanting you to be what they want you to be. You're constantly under pressure. But I want to encourage you, as I say, that your deepest identity is that you are a Christian. There'll be other levels of identity, doubtless, you'll want to, as it were, put on top of that. But that's the crucial one, the deepest one. I am a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I want to just pick out two things. But there's so much we could say, but... If your identity is as a Christian, it means at least these two things. Firstly, it means you are in Christ. I want just to emphasize that phrase, in Christ. If you look at the New Testament, that phrase about being in Christ occurs hugely more than the word Christian. The word Christian hardly ever appears. It just appears, did you hear in, that, uh, in the epistle, the first time that the word Christian was used was there uh, at the end of that reading. But it was the first time, and you don't often hear it again. The phrase that's typically used in the New Testament is in Christ. That was the core identity, the for, core description uh, of who they were and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. That phrase in Greek, en Christo, uh, reverberates through the New Testament. Paul says in, in Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Romans 13, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for anything else. In Galatians 3, he says, as many as have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And it's all that, it's that same image. The message is clear. As a Christian, you have to put on Christ. You are in Christ. It's not an extra something. It's what you are. Christ is who you inhabit. It's like, like this. Here I stand, 
as confidently as I can uh, as John Pritchard, human being. But I could do this. Here is this uh, cope that I wear on... Uh, strange, I don't seem to wear it here very often, actually, Andrew, do I? Um, but, uh, you know, in other places, like this morning, uh, I would wear this. And think of it as just putting on Jesus Christ, being enveloped by Jesus Christ, being in Christ. That's our identity. And from then on, you go around in this way. It isn't something you take on and off. It's being in Christ. So, it's a bit hot in here, I'll take it off. Um, but the identity thing is what stays with you. You are in Christ. You are a Christian. What am I doing here? Excuse me. There's too many wires up here. So the most important thing that can be said about you as you get confirmed is you are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ because you are covered in Christ. You have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a second thing that uh, being a Christian means in this context. It means you are utterly loved by God. Do you remember the gospel? It's about the baptism of Jesus. And here was John down at the Jordan doing extraordinary things and, uh, and looking fairly extraordinary as well, dressed in camel's hair. Not exactly a fashion statement, but there he was doing these uh, odd things and, and saying odd things and looking odd. And Jesus comes down and John says, this can't be right. I can't be baptizing you. It should be the other way around. And Jesus says, no, let it be so for the time being. This is the way it's got to be for now. But Jesus knew that he was stepping out into the limelight. After 30 years of preparation, that's a long time of thinking and pondering and praying and, and wondering and working it out. And now he was having to step out of the shadows. He knew the time had come. And yet he knew what the implications of that were going to be. So he needed some reassurance. He wanted to do things the right way. But what happened, of course, was that in a sense the heavens opened and he became aware of God saying, you are my beloved child and I'm thrilled to bits with you. So in Christ, what God says to you who are being confirmed and baptized today is, God loves you unconditionally unreservedly, persistently, without any reservation or condition. The jury isn't out. God doesn't need convincing of anything. God is for you. And that is absolutely clear and irreversible as a verdict, as it were. God is for you always and without a second thought for all of us. Extraordinary. Without hesitation or deviation, but with endless repetition, God is for you. So hear it today as you get confirmed. God loves you to bits. The church doesn't often tell you that, you know. It tells you all sorts of other stuff. 
But that's the heart of it. It doesn't often tell you. Simply that, God loves you unreservedly. Call me old-fashioned, but that's what I want to know more than anything else, that I'm loved. And most people spend most of their lives looking for that kind of unreserved love. But it's here, right now. And of course we get reminded of it every time we come to, particularly when we come to communion. Because when we come there, we are being told each time, you are my beloved child, and I'm thrilled to bits with you. Take my life. So you are saying today, I'm a Christian. And that means you are in Christ. You've put on Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it means secondly, that you're entirely loved by God. That's your identity. Of course, many people manage life, don't they, without that Christian identity. And many of your friends will do that too. And they actually may be pretty scornful of you saying that you are a Christian. You've probably experienced that already. That's the pressure you're under as a young Christian in today's skeptical culture. But wait a minute. They have a lot of difficult questions to answer if they don't believe any of this Christian stuff. For instance... What do they base their life on that isn't either intellectually fluffy or just plain self-interested? What bears the weight of this complex, amazing, demanding experience of being human? What's sufficient for that? What really makes sense of that? Or they have intellectual questions to answer. Why does anything exist rather than nothing? It's the basic scientific, philosophical, theological question. Why does anything exist rather than nothing? Some will know that uh, for most of his life, um, the philosopher Anthony Flew was a convinced atheist. But as he came to the latter part of life, he realized and said that belief in God, he now thought, was intellectually necessary. Other questions, why is the universe fine-tuned for life so closely that the tiniest variation in the way it started in the Big Bang could actually have aborted the whole universe? Why is it so fine-tuned like that? Apparently the odds of life happening uh, in this universe are like firing a bucket, uh, firing a bucket, firing a bullet (laughs) uh, across the, the light years of the universe and hitting a target the size of a pea. Why are some things clearly, clearly right, like love and courage and justice and honesty? And some things are clearly wrong, like child abuse and torture and racism and murder. Why do these things have a right to matter if there's no God and no accountability? Why shouldn't I actually logically do as I like. Why do 75 to 80% of the world's population believe in some form of transcendence, which we call God? Every civilization, every culture, every generation, every part of the world, are we, they, all stupid? 
And here's another question. How did a group of 11 terrified men cowering in an upper room in Jerusalem, fearing for their own skin, how did they completely change and turn the known world upside down inside a generation if Christ had not been raised from the dead? And why did, is it that those 11 people that night have grown to be 2.2 billion if there's nothing in it, if it's all founded uh, on a lie? Today, you are being confirmed and baptized, some of you. And you'll be able to say that your deepest identity is that you are a Christian, that you're in Christ, and that God loves you unreservedly. And I want to encourage you to be absolutely unapologetic about that, about being a Christian. Be confident about that identity. Value it. Enjoy it. There's a new book that's uh, just come out that I'm reading at the moment uh, that's called Unapologetic. Some of you may have seen it. It's by Francis Spufford, who is a, a former Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year. It's an absolutely virtuoso um, performance, huge fun. And on the back it says this, you can easily look up what Christians believe in. You can read any number of defenses of Christian ideas. This, however, is a defense of Christian emotions, of their intelligibility, of their grown-up dignity. It's called unapologetic because it isn't giving an apologia, the technical term for a defense of the ideas. And it's called unapologetic also because I'm not sorry. I want to say, be the same. Don't be sorry in any way about being a Christian. He's unapologetic. Be the same. Be confident. And of course, look out because some of you may end up wearing you know, one of these or something odd like that. Uh, at the end of the day, if you'd have that confidence. Do you know, in this diocese, we've got 240 people who are on that ordination trail just in this one diocese. It's a huge number, 240. 80 or 90 who are in training at the moment, 130 or 40 who are looking at, who are in the whole process. But whatever it is, be a Christian, confidently, whatever you do. If it's a lawyer, if it's a medic or a writer or a jazz musician, as a parent, as a teacher, as a banker, as an environmentalist, be a Christian as a vet or a taxidermist or both, but be whatever calls you to be. But at rock bottom, be a Christian. Tonight, God is confirming his call on your life and you're confirming your acceptance of that call. So now, live it. Game on. Amen.